Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 162. So first up, I'd like to make a clarification of sorts. Last week, I covered the story of a Duke University student by the name of Brian Grasso, who refused to read an assigned book entitled Fun Home based on religious grounds or objections. So what I feel needs clarifying, and I don't know if I'll be able to, is whether or not the book was required reading. According to some accounts, it was part of a summer reading list, which we usually think of as being optional. I think even Anna Kasparian in that TYT clip I played last week might have said it was an optional summer reading list text. But if it was optional, then what's all the fuss about? Why did the Young Turks in that clip I played, and myself as well, uh, make such a big deal out of it? I think somewhere in my head, due to how big the story had become, and how much people were getting riled up about it, I assumed it must have been required and proceeded on that basis. The story I read last week started with this. Durham, North Carolina, some freshman students at Duke University are refusing to read the critically acclaimed novel Fun Home, which was assigned on their summer reading list. Then the op-ed in the Washington Post, written by the actual student in question, Brian Grasso, starts this way. And there are some graphic descriptions of uh, sex acts or whatever, so I'm always trying to be mindful of my listeners with kind of sensitive ears, so just be aware going in. And ironically, the uh, article with the graphic content is written by a devout Christian who didn't want to read an LGBT graphic novel. But anyway, here it is in the Washington Post. I'm a Duke freshman. Here's why I refused to read Fun Home. As a Christian, I knew that my beliefs and identity would be challenged at a progressive university like Duke. My first challenge came well before I arrived on campus, when I learned that all first years were assigned Fun Home, a graphic novel by Allison, I pronounced it Bechdel, I think Anna Kasparian pronounced it Bechdel or something. But anyway, the book includes cartoon drawings of a woman masturbating and multiple women engaging in oral sex. After researching the book's content and reading a portion of it, I chose to opt out of the assignment. My choice had nothing to do with the ideas presented. I'm not opposed to reading memoirs written by LGBTQ. Ugh. I'm already lazy and reading LGBTs hard enough now they got the Q. But it's kind of funny how even the conservative Christian remembered to get the Q in there. LGBTQ individuals or stories containing suicide. I'm not even opposed to reading Freud, Marx, or Darwin. I know that I'll have to grapple with ideas I don't agree with, even ideas that I find immoral. And I think that paragraph right there, Anna Kasparian read in that clip I played last week. Can you hear that? I'm drinking Mike's Hard Black Cherry or Black Raspberry, uh, something or rather, whatever it is, it tastes good. Then it continues, but in the Bible, Jesus forbids his followers from exposing themselves to anything pornographic. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says in Matthew 5, 28 through 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. This theme is reiterated by Paul who warns, flee from sexual immorality. But it's funny the way this uh, student who penned this op-ed puts it, but in the Bible, Jesus forbids his followers from exposing themselves to anything pornographic. Uh, I'm just thinking about 
all the kind of racy stuff in the Old Testament, like the um, Song of Songs, also known as the uh, Song of Solomon, I believe, which uses this very kind of uh, strong, suggestive sexual language, using poetic euphemisms for parts of the female anatomy, etc. Does that mean Christians can't look at certain parts of their own Bible? I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, and I heard this Bible quote recently, and I wanted to vet it before I spoke about it. Speaking of pornographic, but I, I guess it's real. It's actually Ezekiel 23 through 24. And here I'm quoting verbatim. There she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys and whose omission was like that of horses. Yeah, Ezekiel 23.20. And it says, chapter 23 is a long metaphor about two sisters. Ohola, I think it is. O-H-O-L-A-H. And Oholiba. <laughs> Rep I'm probably butchering those names, oh well. Representing Samaria and Jerusalem, respectively. Both of these sisters grew up to be prostitutes. Ahola was a prostitute for the Assyrians. God was so angry with her that he had the Assyrians kill her and take away her children. Yet another comforting uh, Bible story. I'm bringing that up not just because it's kind of fun and body on its own, but as another example of how the Bible itself sometimes <laughs> uses what we would probably deem even with our modern 21st century sensibilities to be pornographic language. Fun home can't be too much worse than that. Okay, but uh, this should take care of it. Here's a direct quote from a Duke representative. And this is from BuzzFeed News. In a statement, Duke's Vice President for Public Affairs and Government Relations told BuzzFeed News they know it's impossible to find a book that pleases everyone, adding that the summer reading is entirely voluntary, in quotes. And then it looks like it continues with a, um, a more in-depth quotation. Fun Home was ultimately chosen because it is a unique and moving book that transcends genres and explores issues that students are likely to confront. It is also one of the most celebrated graphic novels of its generation, and the theatrical adaptation won the Tony Award for Best Musical and four others in 2015. As we have every year, we were fortunate to have the author join us on campus for a lively discussion of the book during orientation week. Then continues, the summer reading is entirely voluntary. Yeah, so it looks like it was optional. I don't know what the big deal is then. If they were refusing to read a mandatory text on religious grounds, then you'd have a story, and what I said last week would apply. And what I said basically was that, in my opinion, it's a free country, no one can make you read anything. But if you're going to make a principled stand by not reading a required text, then you have to be willing to face the academic consequences, which could mean failing the assignment and possibly the course, which would probably be appropriate, in my opinion. Speaking of the Young Turks, I was debating whether or not to talk about something. Uh, so obviously I'm a TYT fan, or at least I follow them regularly. And as I did last week, I even play some of their clips on the show. But I also regularly watch the YouTube channel Atheism is Unstoppable, which is heavily critical of TYT, to say the least. I voiced my opinion before concerning how I think that the Young Turks, especially Cenk Uygur, the founder and main host, are sometimes too PC for my taste when it comes to their coverage of Islam. 
Uh, but that aside, I, I agree with them on most issues, and I like how they usually take a relatively fair and honest approach to the way they cover stories. But I thought Atheist Rue, a.k.a. Atheism is Unstoppable, a.k.a. Devin Tracy, really caught Jenk in a moment of intellectual dishonesty. So during a panel discussion, the Young Turks were talking about the recent case of a 17-year-old teen, Ali Shukri Amin, I think, from North Virginia, who was arrested for helping ISIS online. He not only sent out literally thousands of tweets promoting ISIS, but he also helped raise funds for them. So the discussion got into whether or not the court system or the law went too hard on the teen, and if his punishment would have been possibly less severe if he were white and non-Muslim. I believe he was sentenced to 11 years in prison, then that conversation led into a discussion of the Dylan Roof Church shooting case and whether white defendants are treated more sympathetically by the court system. And this is where the story gets kind of juicy. So Jen claimed that the judge in the Dylan Roof case first and foremost asked for forgiveness for Dylan Roof, the white shooter, and his family. And he drew a comparison between the way Dylan Roof was treated and the way Muslims like the uh, Zarnayev brothers who committed the Boston Marathon bombing uh, are treated. I think he also makes a comparison to the guy who recently gunned down that young reporter and their cameraman. Uh, sorry for bringing that up. That has to be one of the most disturbing and uh, depressing stories in a while. I think what made it so shocking, more so than other recent shootings, is the way the guy filmed himself killing the individuals, killing his victims, first person, as if you were, you know, playing Doom or something like that. There was really something kind of ironic and futuristically dystopian about the uh, whole thing. But back to uh, the story at hand. So I'll play some clips. And for those of you with sensitive ears, uh, if you're not familiar with Atheism is Unstoppable, they can really have or should I say he, Devin Tracy, can really have this kind of unapologetic, in-your-face, no-holds-barred approach. And, uh, and you might find some of the language offensive, but uh, here we go. So uh, here's where the double standards are relevant in terms of perception and how society acts. Dylan Roof kills nine people in the church. He comes in, the judge says, let's talk about forgiveness. The judge in the Dylan Roof case does not say, let's talk about forgiveness. He does not say that. So the, the black guy who just shot the, uh, the two poor people mm -hmm. in, uh, on live on air, mm -hmm. right, in, when he, in Virginia, did anybody talk about forgiveness? Okay, so I'm going to jump in for a minute. I already think that Jenk's gone astray on at least two counts. And I think Devin's going to call it a straw man, too. But he puts up the straw man about whether or not anyone asked for forgiveness for the killer who killed those two news people, the, uh, the young 24-year-old reporter and her cameraman, and the killer happened to be African-American. And so he's insinuating that because the killer was black, no one in power or whatever asked for the public or the families to forgive him like they supposedly did in the Dylan Roof case, but the judge never asked for forgiveness in the Dylan Roof case. But anyway, um, Atheist Rue has already 
done all this work for me, so I'll let him continue. Nobody talking about forgiveness, right? He's a monster, and, right. you know, et cetera. What are you talking about, Jenk? Do I think they should talk about forgiveness? Of course not. That monster killed two people live on air. We saw it. It was gut-wrenching, right? But why are we talking about forgiveness immediately when it comes to Dylan Roof? Because... Calm down, everybody. Why are we talking about forgiveness when it comes to Dylan Roof? Okay, so we've erected a straw man. This has never happened. The, he is specifically saying the judge, the white judge, is the one talking about forgiveness which is so not the case, I'm losing my hair over this. To the layman, I'm a bald guy, but in truth, I have some hairs on my head. I just lost them. Now, what Jenk is going to tiptoe over, if you can imagine this fucking water buffalo tiptoeing, he is about to tiptoe over the fact that the people who forgave Dylan Roof were all black, all exclusively black. The victim's family members and friends excused Dylan Roof, the white guy. Why? Because they're Christians. It had nothing to do with race. Jenk, in his desire to point the finger at white people, to point the finger at white supremacy, to label everybody and their mother a racist, sorry, every white person and their mother a racist, he is being completely racist and wrong and demented. Uh, the perception is... The judge looks at that kid and goes, ah, there but for the grace of God, it goes, my, a kid from my neighborhood or my kid, I could see, ooh, I feel bad for his family. That's the first thing he said, I feel bad for his first family. Thing. His family, I feel bad for his family, the right? Killer's family. The first thing he says is, we have nine victims here. Black, we have nine victims. We also have other victims, this kid's family. That's the order in which he says, it's not first thing. And he never forgives or suggests that there should be any forgiveness of Dylan Roof. Not once. It's enough. Let me show you what I'm talking about. And you digest this. Understand that this is publicly accessible. Watch the judge. You tell me what he said. Ladies and gentlemen, before I get into the hearing, I'd like to make a statement, please. Charleston is a very strong community. We have big hearts. We're a very loving community. And we are going to reach out to everyone, all victims, and we will touch them. We have victims, nine of them. But we also have victims on the other side. There are victims on this young man's side of the family. Nobody would have ever thrown them into the whirlwind of events that they have been thrown into. We must find it in our heart uh-oh, here it comes. Here comes the part where the judge is going to say to forgive Dylan Roof, right? Surely this has got to be the part. We must find it in our heart. Look, he's pointing to his heart. This is an impassioned plea to the public, to the nation, to the world who's watching this event. And now he's going to unload his, we got to forgive Dylan Roof. Ready? Here we go. At some point in time, not only to help those that are victims, but to also help his family as well. And it's all done and said. Scarlett Wilson, the solicitor, and Ashley Pennington will have done the best job that they can do. They're some of the finest. Our law enforcement are the finest in this state, and they will do their job honorably. I trust they will. With that being said, we will move forward today with this hearing. <laughs> 
And that's the end. That's the end of it. Not one time has the word forgive been mentioned. The idea, the sentiment that Dylan Roof is somehow off the hook or that Dylan Roof should be forgiven in any way. This is a fantasy. And then there comes the part where he asks representatives of the victim's families to speak out. He doesn't couch it in anything. He doesn't say, now's your chance to forgive this guy. No, listen to what he says. He just says, you can speak if you want to. Do you want to speak? You have a right as the, uh, as the representative of the family to make a statement today before we set bond. Would you like to do so, ma'am? Thank you very much. Ethel Lance, would you like to make a statement in regards to this hearing concerning Ethel Lance as a victim, ma'am? Would you like to come forward, please? You are representing the family of Ethel Lance, is that correct? And you are whom, ma'am? The daughter. The daughter. I'm listening, and you can talk to me. I just want to run to my community. I should still be. Ooh, Ethel Lance. Oh, Ethel, you broke the streak of not mentioning the word forgive. Ethel Lance, you just forgave this guy for killing your mother. I forgive you. May God have mercy on your soul. I mean, do you realize how many degrees of hideous distortion and misrepresentation it takes for Jenk <laughs> to look at this video and to report this video as the white judge said, first thing, let's forgive Dylan Roof. That was his takeaway from this. And if you are a novice Google ninja, I'm talking intern level, if you have fingers, fuck, if you have nubs, you could nub your way to Googling this. It's on YouTube. It's readily available. This is a complete lie and distortion with a completely racist agenda from Cenk Uger. Representative of the family of Myra Thompson. Sir, would you like to make a statement before this court? Oh, wait, wait a minute. What did you say? Sir, would you like to make a statement before this court? Well, clearly, what you don't see in the shot is the judge is holding up a sign that says, forgive Dylan Roof because he's white or I might go berserk and throw you in jail for contempt of court. Please come forward. Your name, sir? Anthony Thompson. Mr. Thompson. I would just like him to know that. Speak up for me. Saying the same thing that was just said. You know, I forgive you, my family forgive you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Thank you, Ms. Sanders, for being here. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts. And it'll never be the same. So Lawrence Sanders is my son. 
but Tomozo was my hero. Tomozo was my hero. But as we say in Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on you. Thank you, ma'am. Yet another black woman forgiving Dylan Roof. Nothing to do with race, everything to do with Christianity and these people's beliefs. This killer could have been any race and they would have forgiven him. This killer could have been a wild bear. They would have forgiven the bear, even if it was a black bear or a brown bear or a polar bear. Bear racism. Right, but you, when you talk about the Zarnia brothers, you talk about the, the Virginia shooter, you talk about this guy, nobody feels bad for them, nobody's talking about forgiveness. We're talking about the maximum extent of the law, right? Well, okay, so I'm gonna jump in for a minute again. Maybe this hits a little close to home because I live in the greater Boston area. Um, one of the victims, uh, a young, I think it was a college-age girl who died in the bombing, comes from the same town, uh, Medford, where my brother lives. And the pursuit of these guys and the shootout happened in areas that I'm familiar with, I think close to areas that I actually worked in with my family. But even if I was on the other side of the globe, you know, these guys put pressure cooker bombs low to the ground that you know killed several people. Was it uh, three fatalities, I think? And but then if you add the MIT guard, uh, but I think scores of people were injured, lost limbs. You guys might remember the gruesome footage that came out hours after this event unfolded online. Sidewalks soaked with blood, dismembered feet lying on the sidewalk, people with limbs blown off and jagged exposed bone. Um, I just think this was a really bad example for Cenk Uger to go to. I don't know what the hell he's trying to prove. He's saying, oh, everyone felt sorry for the poor white killer, which they didn't. The judge didn't bring up forgiveness. Uh, he seemed to insinuate maybe forgiveness or understanding for the family members of the, the killer because um, they have to live with the knowledge that their son was this animal who snapped uh, no insult intended towards animals. I'm an animal lover. <laughs> we are animals, but you know, animal, figuratively speaking. Um, and I probably shouldn't even say he was, he snapped. That's wrong. This crime was premeditated, but they have to deal with the fact that their kid murdered nine innocent people. If I was the judge, I might be a little bit more of a hard ass. I might not have brought up the family of Dylan Roof, I would have focused all my attention on the victims. But in fairness to the judge, he doesn't ask for forgiveness for the killer. Like Atheist Rue points out, he doesn't even use the word forgiveness. But Jenk Uger probably didn't mean it this way, but his tone almost sounds like, oh, you're showing all the sympathy for the, the poor white kid. What about the poor Muslim bombers? <laughs> and, uh, and and I think the bomb bombers are what where were they from Chechnya or something or something? Uh, 
I think they're technically Caucasian. Islam is is a religion, not a race. But anyway, um, let's not forget what these two individuals did, the Zarnayev brothers. They don't deserve any sympathy. They don't even deserve sympathy within the framework of a hypothetical. And remember when the younger brother was his name, Jokar or or jo, uh, Jozar or whatever his name is. I hope, I'm glad I can't remember his name. I hope the world forgets it, but maybe at least remembers uh, the sinister nature of his deeds so we can help prevent similar things in the future. But I wouldn't mind if that guy was erased from history. But remember when they elevated him to like pop star status? Uh, they put him on the cover of Rolling Stone. And the way they did it, a lot of people thought it uh, was reminiscent of my favorite, one of my favorite people in history, uh, one of my favorite poets, one of my favorite singers, Jim Morrison. And that, so that really got under my skin. People thought they were trying to portray Jokar, whatever his name is, uh, as if he was this uh, pop idol. And I, I was totally disgusted by that. And disgusted by the fact that, as often happens with young, I guess, relatively attractive uh, serial killers, mass murderers or whatever, they garner female attention. And you have these demented groupies, these women who try to come up with conspiracy theories, how this person didn't really commit these evil deeds. Um, they're, mis they're misunderstood. And it's like bullshit. The reason why you like them is because they committed those evil deeds and you're attracted to a, a good-looking psychopath. That's that's the whole point of it. Um, it's the ultimate bad boy. But anyway, I've rambled enough. Let's get back to Atheist Rue. So yeah, the maximum extent of the law... Who are you interviewing, Jenk? Jenk, of course people are outraged. They have every right to be outraged. And the maximum extent of the law, that's what the judge just did to Dylan Roof. That's what South Carolina is doing to Dylan Roof. If you kill hardcore Christians, they will forgive you. End of story. His attempt to say, oh, double standard, why aren't we protecting the Zarniev brothers? Nobody's mad at the Zarniev brothers' uncle who went public and called his nephews losers. Nobody's mad at that guy. We have sympathy for that guy. But Jenk, always looking out for the Muslims. Because it's Muslims, 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 Muslims. That's the thing. That's the software running on his head. That's his agenda of Muslim apologetics. He sees something happen to a white guy. He thinks, first thing, boom. What if this was a Muslim? Muslim, we got to defend Muslims. You got to come through me. You want to get to the Muslims? You got to fight me. That's who this fuck is. And it makes my skin crawl. It should make your skin crawl. But, so I mean, that, that does you know, make a difference. It does, yes, it does make a difference. But here are a couple things. One, his family, at least in the CBS story, is in here. And, and, and I, his biological father, who he hasn't seen since he was four, came from the United Arab Emirates to attend the hearing. He also had approximately 20 family members and friends present. This kid. It's in the story. I read that and I thought, literally, oh, God, I feel so bad for his family. Literally. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right, literally, All right, good. At least uh, you did. Right. So, and also, regarding forgiveness, I, I don't know when the judge said that. I Whoa! Slow down! Ben Mankiewicz, can I get a mank? Can I get a little what what on Benny Mankiewicz? Benny Mankiewicz with his pink collared shirt unbuttoned to like Ricky Martin levels. Benny Mankiewicz is the guy who's going to come out on the good side of this argument. 
Ben, listen to what Ben says. And by the way, this entire segment was taken out of the Young Turks video that they put on their channel. This was edited out because there was confrontation. Because Benny Mankiewicz fought back and tried to insert some reason and some facts into the conversation. It all got cut out. They're like, no, no, chop that shit out. You remember that part where Ben actually like confronts Jenk and calls him on his bullshit? Cut that out before we send it out to two billion people. <laughs> and also regarding forgiveness, I, I don't know when the judge said that. I remember that part of the story and I remember the outrage over that part of the story, which I did not share. Um, but the, the many, many, many of the victims' families in Charleston talked about forgiveness the day of no, the no, shooting. That's uh, the because next. the judge said it. Judge no, said it for, no, 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 I'm no, positive. No, I don't think you're right. I'm positive. The oh, judge no. forced forgiveness down their throat because no. they're good Christians. That's they right. then no, said, oh, you're it. right, we should do forgiveness. No, they Because that's what black they're... people have been taught all their lives. Keep forgiving no. us for all the things that we've done to you. You no, be a good Christian, that, that bow your head, silly. forgive us, forgive silly. us, forgive us, while we enslave you, we beat you down, we burn you, we kill you, forgive us. Hi, me again. So anyway, this was the point. I think I happened to be watching uh, the live show when I actually caught this exchange. So once again, like I said at the top of this segment, it's not like I'm rabidly anti-TYT. I've been listening to them for years. I agree with most everything uh, they have to say. I like to consider myself a political independent but leaning progressive. Uh, on things like gay rights, uh, legalizing pot, women's rights, a woman's right to choose, that type of thing. And like I've said a million times on this show, if you name a religion, I can tell you stuff that I like about it, even if it's on a surface or symbolic level, like sacred art and architecture and music and things like that. And, and so it's not like I'm rabidly anti-Islamic either, but I believe in intellectual honesty, and I believe in not letting political correctness get in the way of the truth. And so I've, I've noticed, as have many other people, and like I've said before, a lot of the people in the comments section on Atheism is Unstoppable's channel are disillusioned Young Turks fans. A lot of us have noticed Cenk Uger make these kind of false comparisons and bend over backwards to defend Islam or speak out against what he sees as a disparity between the way Muslims and non-Muslims are treated when it comes to crime and terrorism and things like that. And like I've said before, like a few episodes back, I think, I have no problem with calling a person of any skin color or any ethnicity or creed a terrorist. Go back and look at all the old magazine covers having to do with the Oklahoma City bombing. There's magazine covers that have terrorists in big letters. Everyone referred to Timothy, Lily White Timothy McVeigh as a terrorist. Everyone referred to IRA bombers. Uh, as terrorists. Um, 
abortion clinic bombers that you know there's not that many abortion clinic bombings anymore but when they were happening people referred to them as acts of terrorism people refer to certain militia groups as uh terror groups and even dylan roof if he was doing what he did as seems to be the case in the name of some idea of racial purity or uh, of trying to incite a race war or whatever stupid motive he had, then I consider that domestic terrorism. He's committing an atrocity in the name of some ideology. And like I was saying, you know, you can have a, a, a white or non-Muslim person who, who perpetrates an act of terrorism, and you can have someone who happens to be Muslim, but maybe they commit a crime of passion, or maybe it's a young kid who was raised Muslim, but he's not necessarily religious, he's kind of secular, and he shoots up his high school because he was made fun of, then that wouldn't be an act of terrorism just because he's Muslim or comes from a Muslim background. That would be a lone wolf killing. He wasn't killing in the name of Islamic ideology or something like that. It was more akin to like a Columbine, you know, massacre or something like that. Uh, It didn't have anything to do with Islam. And I get this feeling that like Cenk is almost talking down to or wagging his finger at his own audience. And uh, I I don't know who he's screaming at into the camera, but it seems like he's trying to make everyone with an air's reach feel bad because they're not giving Muslims a fair shake or something like that. And it, it gets really old. And like I said, one of the things I liked about the Young Turks is the way they covered news stories in a, a really fair and rational, but admittedly progressive, often kind of way. And I don't mind because I lean progressive. And uh, there was a sense of intellectual honesty about the way they covered the news and a sense of down-to-earth candidness or something. But that seems to be going out the window. It's almost like Jenk has taken this pet cause so far that he's lost objectivity or perspective. Uh, and it's not a good thing. And I'm in a really weird place. I mean, what do you do when you're a TYT fan and you still enjoy a lot of their coverage but you have to deal with this, you know? And, uh, but I digressed. What I was talking about is when I was watching this live show, I knew when he started to try to talk over and shut down Ben Mankiewicz, I'm like, this is something. And I was actually wondering if Atheist Rue was watching it and if he was going to do a video on it, which obviously he did. And, uh, So Ben Mankiewicz was being very... And I actually really like Ben Mankiewicz. Uh, There was only one time, I think, in recent memory that I disagreed with him. And it was on the Charlie Hebdo uh, killings. Where all my sympathy was for the staff of Charlie Hebdo and their guests who got slaughtered uh, by these extremist uh, gunmen. um, Islamic extremists. And maybe it's because I'm an artist myself, but I not only believe in free speech, but I I believe deeply and passionately in artistic expression. The right of people to 
express themselves and communicate ideas through all different artistic media. Um, and maybe on the surface, political cartoons seem silly and juvenile, but they serve a very important role in, in society. They, with one image, you can lampoon and criticize an idea and make a very important social or political statement. And so I think it's a good thing that we have people satirizing religion. But I remember uh, Dave Rubin was on the show and they were talking about it. Dave Rubin was defending Charlie Hebdo and Ben Mankiewicz basically blew up. I was actually surprised at his reaction. And he actually physically smashed a piece of paper, which he violently crumpled onto the desk and smushed it. And at, while saying, you know, these, these people, the weakest people in society or whatever. And he was referring to the kind of the Muslim masses throughout the world. Maybe, you know, not the top elite, not the mullahs, uh, not the Saudi princes, but maybe the, the impoverished, the impoverished masses in, in Muslim countries and, you know, angrily saying that Charlie Hebdo is like rubbing their faces in it. It's like making fun of the weakest of the poorest and telling them their religion's no good or something. And I thought that was extreme. Um, I, I try to be a nice guy and, uh, I try to go out of my way not to hurt people's feelings, but in the public forum of ideas we have to be able to criticize religion we have to be able to satirize powerful institutions and powerful people um do i feel bad if if some poor schlep somewhere in the muslim world some guy i don't know uh lifting you know lifting rocks in a quarry or digging trenches or something and barely feeding his family suddenly hears that someone in France drew a picture of his prophet and he feels insulted by it yeah i feel bad for him but that doesn't mean we should all shut up and not criticize religion um how are we ever going to advance as a species as a global society if we don't try to weed out superstition, weed out harmful ideas, and try to bring people into some kind of enlightened humanist future or something. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm wording that properly, but I think we have to criticize religion. We have to be able to. Um, so that was the one time where I ever really took offense to Ben Mankiewicz. Other than that, I mean, I, I, I find him likable. Uh, I agree with him on a lot of stuff, but when I was watching this, this live episode and I saw the way he was being rational and just trying to state what he believed to be the facts. And it turns out rightly so. And Jank was just bulldozing over him, trying to shut him down. Yeah. I was like, this is gone. We haven't seen the end of this. <laughs> Someone's gone make a video about this or something. And uh, I thought it didn't paint Jenk in a very good light. But anyway, once again, let's get back to Atheist Rue. Right? This is amazing. I can't believe what I just saw. Listen to that shit. 
again. Many, many, many of the victims' families in Charleston talked about forgiveness. The day of no, the no, shooting. That's uh, the because next. the judge said it. Judge no, said it no, for, no, 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 I'm no, positive. No, I don't think you're right. I'm positive. Jenk, the judge didn't say that. And now let's address the other elephant in the room, the part where he blatantly condescends to black people and takes away their autonomy. He doesn't respect black people to think for themselves. So the black people only said what they said because the judge was like the puppet master. The judge set the tone. It was the white judge who used his mental magic. He was a ventriloquist. The black people are just meat puppets who are just parroting what some white guy said. That's his mentality. He does not respect black people to even have their own thoughts. The judge forced forgiveness down their throat because no. they're good Christians. That's they right. then no, said, oh, you're right, we should do forgiveness. No, oh, you're right, we should do forgiveness. So in other words, the judge, who never mentioned forgiveness once, who never suggested that Dylan Roof should be forgiven at all, <laughs> it was that... That was why these black people, in tears, in emotionally distraught state, one after another, individual, autonomous black people with their own thoughts, they said, in what was surely one of the most painful and trying moments of their life, they expressed their feelings, and yet it wasn't their feelings, it was shit that was forced upon them by the white man. <laughs> Look at this! It's so wrong on so many levels. Every black people have been taught all their lives, keep forgiving no. us for all the things that we've done to you. You no, be a good Christian, bow your head, silly. forgive us, forgive silly. us, forgive us, while we enslave you, we beat you down, we burn you, we kill you, forgive us, right? What the fuck are you talking about? And the voice of reason is Benny Mankiewicz in the back, saying, no, no, Jack, don't. And he probably knew this was gonna get cut. He knows that if it gets into any controversy, if the fucking head Buffalo chief gets called out or goes on an insane rant like this, they're not putting that to air. So wait a minute, I love how you used present tense. So when we enslave, when we burn, when we lynch, what did he say? Because, because that's what black people have been taught all their lives. Keep forgiving no. us for all the things that we've done to you. You no, be a good Christian, bow your head, silly. forgive us, forgive silly. us, forgive us, while we enslave you, we beat you down, we burn you, we kill you, forgive us, right? While we enslave you, we beat you down, we burn you, we kill you, forgive us, right? No, so they, that's, they that's what they've been the taught. Judge. I didn't think it because of the judge. They they did. And did you hear that? Did you hear that again? That racism, the disrespect to black people, this is what they've been taught. So the black people don't even have their own thoughts. <laughs> so wait a minute. Who's the racist here, Jenk? Who's the racist? Oh, we know Dylan Roof's a racist. Yeah, yeah, we are all in agreement on that. Who else is a racist? The judge, who doesn't say anything about forgiving him? Or you, who say, these black people, ah, they're, I know what they said, but it wasn't their thoughts. They were taught that by white people. White people put those thoughts into the black person's mind don't even take what they're saying literally. They're not really thinking people in the same way that white people are. Like, yeah, I mean, they. it would appear that they spoke of their own volition and totally voluntarily and independently said whatever the fuck they wanted to say. But really, there was a mechanism of white people telling them, teaching them what to say. They're doing what they were taught. Fucking shameless, man. They, they did, did it because of the thing you the said. The judge triggered it. He's the first one who said it. Oh, 
Trigger warning. So in other words, your straw man, your total misrepresentation of what the judge, not even misrepresentation, total lie about what the judge said was the trigger for the black people to then be like, I, I don't know, like drones, like lemmings, like just these quasi-intelligent beings who are just puppets of white supremacy. They can't even think for themselves. What they say isn't what they say. They've been taught to say it. Unbelievable. And he thinks he's post-racial. This guy thinks he is above racism. Meanwhile, he's the biggest fucking racist in the room. I'm not blaming the, the, the black families there. It sounded they, like they, it. No. Oh, yeah, there we go, Ben again. Ben jumping in with those little daggers. Oh, I love it. A2, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you are, Jenk, because you are. Oh, see, now he's, now he's in a shitstorm. Now he's in a conversation of, oh my God, now I've got to come up with a way to make it okay for when the black people forgave Dylan Roof. He knows that's what happened. He's trying to say, look, the white, he's strawmanning the white judge, says the white judge said forgive Dylan Roof. He never did. He's saying that's bad. When the black people forgave Dylan Roof, that's good. And I'm not blaming them. First of all, how could I blame a black person? That's not progressive. You cannot criticize black people. Oh, I wouldn't be caught dead criticizing a black person. No, I don't blame them. Oh, the white person who said the exact same thing they did? Oh, I'll blame him. So listen to him now try to say the black people who forgave Dylan Roof were under some sort of Jedi mind trick from the white judge. But watch, they're good people for doing that. Watch this. Oh, because they're good, because they're good people. They they got sold this bill of goods on Christianity that the whole, like and and like oh if I'm a good person I'll be a good Christian. What does a good Christian do? We forgive. That's what they've been t teaching me for 200 years here. And so I forgive. I won once again. I, I forgive. forgive. I'm not a good Christian. I'm like I would be the worst Christian, but I forgive. They're like, better people than I am because they forgive. I would not fucking forgive. Okay, you don't okay? have to. But <laughs> did you hear that? Once again, Jenk loves to talk about double standards. We are so deep into this bullshit story right now. It's hard to sort of sift around, but let's try. So what did he just say? They are better people than I am because they forgive. I would not fucking forgive. Now, what you need to understand at home is when he says they, he's talking about exclusively the black people who forgave. He's not lumping in the judge who, once again, did not forgive Dylan Roof. He has fabricated that lie and even within his lie, he's not saying the white judge is a good person for forgiving Dylan Roof. Even within this lie. He's saying the white judge is a fucking racist, reprehensible person for forgiving Dylan Roof. The black people, they're good people. They're better people than me, in fact, for forgiving Dylan Roof. Even though I don't think it's them really doing the forgiving. I think they've been sold this idea by white people who have also said, please forgive us white people, we, us white people, for lynching, beating, burning, and killing you. It's, a, so, it's worth commenting so on So they're better they people than I am, but that forgiveness is shoved down their throat, but when we have somebody on the other side, we never talk about forgiveness. <laughs> the forgiveness is shoved down their throat. <laughs> I mean, I, I would die to do an interview with one of the people who gave those testimonies. And just be like, excuse me, was forgiveness shoved down your throat? Was that your own thought? Or are you speaking on behalf of somebody else? Let me ask you, do you care what race the person was that killed your mother?
Would you forgive a black person that killed your mother? An Asian? A white person? Does that matter at all? God damn, this is insulting. We talk about executions. We talk about Guantanamo Bay. We talk about waterboarding, torture. We talk about maximum extent of the law. So yes, perception so makes a huge difference. What the fuck are you talking about? I mean, this is just bullshit. What Waterboarding and torture? Executions? Yes, we are talking about executing Dylan Roof. That's what we are talking about. And as far as now he's just diving headfirst into Muslim apologetics, he's just shoehorning Muslims in here. So he's done with his sort of white, black bullshit racism. And now it's time to defend the Muslims, switch over to agenda point number two. Yeah, if you want Muslims to be forgiven, go ask some jihadist to blow himself up in the same black church. And guess who's going to get forgiven? The Muslim jihadists. You rotund, diabetic chump. I think what, another way of saying this is that we never see the humanity. We see the humanity in people who look like us who commit heinous crimes, but people who don't look like us or share our culture, we don't see the humanity in them. And this is another case of that, right? That's right, 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 right. Tongue, 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 tongue. Okay, I should probably stop to explain that. Jimmy Dore is a comedian who often appears as a co-host on The Young Turks, and he has this bizarre habit of flicking his tongue out like a lizard. And uh, that's why Atheist Drew was uh, repeating the word tongue. But anyway. Because when they see this kid, they don't see a 17-year-old that could be in their family. Right. Because if they did, they'd be like, oh, my nephew, my son, my, ah, oh, they're such my nut cousin. at 17 year old is so stupid. Yeah. Why did you do this? Wanna then you might think like, I, hey, man, we can't have this. I got to send this guy to prison, but I'm going to take 15 years of his life. But if you don't see him as fully human, or not just even fully human, but you don't relate to him, right? You just don't relate to him. You don't see him as somebody that could be part of your community, right? It's normal. It's natural. It's human nature. That's why we talk about it so we can get beyond it. And so they don't see him as one of them. They see him as not as one of us. They see him as one of them. So one of them, oh, they're dangerous. They're the other. They're dangerous. Yes. We got to make sure we lock them away for as long as we can. Okay, so I'm jumping into the fray again. So I th actually think Jenk Uger makes a couple of decent points or points that have kernels of truth to them. Like the thing about black people being brought here as slaves and then becoming kind of indoctrinated into Christianity and Christian culture. I think C. Webb and I were just talking about that on uh, that interview special I, I did with him. But Cenk Uger takes it to a point where, as Atheist Rue pointed out, it sounds like he's being paternalistic, like he's almost describing these black families who lost their loved ones as being childlike or being brainwashed into Christianity by whites to the point where they're not even aware of where their motivations are coming from. And then his point about the other, yeah, we do always have to be on the lookout to make sure we're not treating people like the other and treating people unfairly in the way that we mete out justice. But once again, Jake Uger takes it to an, to an extreme and there's something unnatural about the way Jank, I'll borrow atheist Ruse term, shoehorns Islam into these conversations. And something intellectually dishonest about it, too. I don't know if 
Jenk realizes he's being intellectually dishonest or if inside his deluded head he actually thinks he's the one who's got it right. I, I don't know. But you guessed it, back to Atheist Roof. Right, right. Now this was a classic case of pure and utter projection. This is Jenk seemingly in an unbelievable fashion totally unaware that he has just described outwardly what he does internally. He identifies with Muslims. He identifies with Muslims regardless of what they have done. He wants to be lenient, understanding. Oh, come on, it, it probably wasn't religion. It was occupation. It was geopolitical. Let's go easy on him. Should we put an ISIS supporter in America in jail? Yeah, you answer it, Cenk. You answer if it's too harsh to put a guy in jail for 11 years for supporting ISIS. Defense attorneys asked for a six year, three month sentence. In the end, he got 11 years. So I guess the question is, is this sentence okay, considering what he did? I, I don't no. Think, I don't think- So there, just to, I mean, we're 50 minutes in now about, so to kind of bring things full circle, that clip there was uh, Anna Kasparian, Ben Mankiewicz, and Cenk Uger talking about whether or not it was just to sentence this 17-year-old kid who supported ISIS to 11 years in prison. And I think in a way, you know, it does suck. When you're 17, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are some smart 17-year-olds who are just good kids and really have their stuff together for their age. But when you're 17, you still have a lot of maturing to do, and people do stupid things. So I think when we hear about a 17-year-old going to jail for 11 years for anything, you know, you want to kind of shake your head and say, that's a shame. You know, this kid did something stupid and now he's going to be paying for it for the rest of his life. Now he's going to be in prison for the next 11 years. And it is a shame. It's a waste. But if someone commits a serious crime, what you got to do, you know, you have to punish them to some extent and it's not like they're saying, throw him in a dungeon and throw away the key. Um, this guy not only sent out tweets, you know, in a spirit of solidarity with ISIS, maybe that could be forgiven, but providing material support and raising funds for a group that enslaves, that rapes, that saws the heads off of living human beings. And I won't even bring up the uh, destruction of the artifacts and the relics and things like that, because right now, you know, we're talking about human life. Because of my love of art and history, the fact that they do destroy uh, monuments and things like that and, and ancient works of art, it does really break my heart and get under my skin. But right now we're talking about human life. Yes. So, so, I mean, these are people that commit the most barbaric acts imaginable, um, like mass decapitations, uh, trapping a man in a cage and burning him alive. And this is who th this kid was helping. And if you think about it that way, I mean, 11 years, if you're 17 year old, if you're 17 years old, having to spend the next 11 years in, in jail or prison sucks, you know, and it is a waste. It is a shame, but 11 years almost seems like in some ways a bit of a gift 
for someone that's one year away from adulthood and was providing material support for the most barbaric and blood-soaked terrorist organization that exists right now. But I guess this episode was a little different. I know atheism is unstoppable. Uh, Devin Tracy is one of those controversial figures, kind of uh, almost like a, a love him or hate him type of figure. So, and I always try to be the nice guy of atheism in a way. You know, I try to be measured and mellow uh, and fair. So I hope I didn't offend anyone by playing the atheism is unstoppable clips. Uh, I, I know he is a divisive figure, but, you know, I personally, I enjoy his videos. I personally enjoy his uh, channel. I even enjoy his in, his in-your-face attitude. And I think he, he largely had it right on this one. There might be times when I disagree with him or I disagree with his approach sometimes. But I think he, he really had it right on this one. And he caught Jenk Uger in a real moment of intellectual dishonesty or hypocrisy. So either way, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, you guys know the drill. You can like the show on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter. Uh, you can review the show on iTunes, subscribe through iTunes. And if anyone does decide to write a review on iTunes, just uh, you know, get in touch with me through Twitter, Facebook, or theweekendout at gmail.com and let me know so I can thank you on the air. Um, well, actually, this is pre-recorded, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, and if you want to support the show monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash the week in doubt, and you can pledge as little as $1 per month to the show and you can quit anytime you want. And you can also use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that crazy alliteration. Oh yeah. And I know I just did the end of, uh, the show plugs, but one more thing too, I know we talked about race, on uh, this episode and gone to the whole thing about is there a divide between the way we treat white versus black defendants. And for my regular listeners, you guys already know my take on race. You guys know that I think the whole concept of race is scientifically and morally flawed, but obviously that doesn't stop the concept of race from having an impact on society. So this wasn't about race for me. This was about trying to make sure that reason and intellectual honesty and the facts went out over political correctness, I guess. Um, but anyway, with that being said, uh, I guess until next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Later. <laughs>